All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm speaking to you from the borough of Queens. It is uh, the 18th day of October 2022. And as I said, I'm speaking to you from the borough of Queens in New York City. Uh, I do want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice American Business Channel. So I want to invite you to keep sending along whatever comments you have about this show to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number for Taylor at gmail.com. do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Um, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Gold Bull Resources, Eloro Resources, Reina Gold Mining, Lion One Metals, and Timberline Resources. The title of this week's show is, How Real is the Threat of Nuclear War? Daniel McAdams returns to share his insights into the current geopolitical landscape and to comment on the views of Tulsi Gabbard regarding the threat of the Ukraine war morphing into a catastrophic nuclear holocaust. Daniel will be with me in the second half of today's show. This show has almost always been about the markets and how to best protect your God-given wealth. But as I was preparing for this week's show, the idea of wealth being gained in the stock and bond markets rang emotionally hollow for me as I thought about the very real and growing threats of World War III and a growing possibility of a nuclear end of humanity. Even our president has been talking about it. American news has recently been reminding us almost every day about Putin's threat to use nuclear weapons to protect Russia against the American-led NATO empire, which Putin believes is an existential threat to Russia's right to exist as a sovereign nation. And so it shouldn't be a huge surprise that Putin might very well mean what he says when he says that Russia not only reserves the right to use nuclear weapons to protect its sovereignty, but also given the fact that Russia has recently amended its own laws in preparation to do so, if or when the leaders of Russia believe NATO poses a threat to its right to exist. There are at least some signs that America is also preparing to launch nuclear weapons, given recent advertisements. There was one viewed in New York City television stations a few weeks back, where a very attractive actress was seen advising New Yorkers how to prepare for a nuclear war. Support for the use of nuclear weapons is pretty much a bipartisan position. That fact, as well as a number of anti-constitutional policies being proposed and implemented by the Democrat Party, led former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard to leave the Democrat Party to become an independent, 
Listen now to Tulsi Gabbard as she explains her reason for leaving the Democrats to become an independent. Matt, could you play that, that clip from Tulsi Gabbard? I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness, who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our Constitution, who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, who demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders, who weaponize the national security state to go after their political opponents, and above all, who are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. Now, I believe in a government that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. Unfortunately, today's Democratic Party does not. Instead, it stands for a government that is of, by, and for the powerful elite. Now, I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent-minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democratic Party. If you can no longer stomach the direction that the so-called woke Democratic Party ideologues are taking our country... And I invite you to join me. So that was former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard's explanation for leaving, for why she is leaving the Democrat Party. In her view, that party is putting power and privilege above their duty to obey the Constitution, which calls for elected officials to serve their constituents rather than their own self-interests. We have to go to break now, but when we come back, you will hear the words of former President Eisenhower in 1960 warning about the threat to our form of our form of government and the threat of that form of government by a military industrial complex that uh, it, that runs out of control then you will hear Tulsi Gabbard's explanation to Joe Rogan why she believes the threat of nuclear war is indeed a very real possibility don't go away because when we come back you will hear the words from former president Eisenhower and then the remarks by former congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Good evening, my fellow Americans. 
We now stand ten years past the midpoint of a century that has witnessed four major wars among great nations. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. So those were the words of President Eisenhower 62 and a half years ago. Now listen to the words of former member of Congress and former Democrat Tulsi Gabbard as she spoke with Joe Rogan in October 2022. So. With things like funding the Ukraine war with Russia, please explain to people what that means and why why we're sending so much money over to Ukraine. Um, so so let's start with with that. Let's start with the military industrial complex. Okay. What is it? Who is it? It is these massive defense corporations who make uh, all these different weapon systems from the smallest to the most powerful nuclear weapons and missiles. Uh, when we are at war, they make a lot of money. Uh, when uh, politicians, uh, even if we're not at war, but are threatening that we may go to war, they make a lot of money. And these decisions are not made within the context of, hey, what does our military actually need? What do we need to ensure that our military is ready to defend our country and our national security interests? It is uh, very often what members of Congress are advocating for, even more than the military is asking for sometimes, uh, because of those those cozy relationships with the military-industrial complex, with these massive defense contractors and their lobbyists. So there's a direct uh, there's a direct correlation as the money is changing hands there. Um, the, the problem is not with the Democratic Party, the Republican Party on this issue. And you see this so much divisiveness 
on tons of other issues facing our country, everything from infrastructure to education, all these other things. You see like, oh, my gosh, Democrats and Republicans can't agree on anything. This issue of putting our country in a continual state of war is supported by leaders in both parties and the majority of people in both parties. And it's directly tied to the military industrial complex's influence and tied to people who, you know, want to act and look tough, but aren't asking the most important questions like, okay, if we do this, will this help the American people or hurt the American people? Uh, If we vote to, uh, you know, send these billions of dollars to Ukraine, is that strengthening our national security or undermining it? You'll hear a lot of rhetoric, uh, especially recently, saying, hey, uh, if we um, we've got to send all this money to Ukraine, otherwise Russia is going to come and attack us here. Otherwise, our national security will be undermined. So they say all these things to foment fear in people's minds, but they're not rooted in reality. So what we're seeing play out now is essentially a proxy war. Uh, U.S. is engaging in a proxy war with Russia using Ukraine as their military. So the U.S. and some European countries, predominantly the U.S., though, are providing billions of dollars in funding, weapon systems, and so forth, and essentially waging this war using the Ukrainian military and people as their chess pieces in this geopolitical um, chess game. The ultimate objective being regime change with Russia. And you can see years before, um, obviously, Russia's invasion in Ukraine, uh, this this anti-Russia sentiment has been building up by the, the permanent Washington establishment and laying the groundwork. And this was the opportunity that they saw. Um, it's put us in the most dangerous position, we the American people and the world has ever been in, in that we, a nuclear war could break out in a week, in 30 days. We, we are staring over the precipice of that nuclear brink now more than ever before. Uh, we're hearing language coming from Putin, from Medvedev, from different uh, Russian nationalist leaders saying, no, Putin, you should go and use those nuclear weapons, whether they're the tactical nukes or the strategic nukes, doesn't matter. There is no way to win this. That would spark a nuclear war. It would spark World War Three. And the result of that is destruction of the world. It is destruction of the world as we know it. And, you know, I, I hate to, to paint such a bleak picture, but this is people need to know that this is the reality that we're facing, that our leaders have pushed us and led us to this brink of nuclear war. They have their own bunkers and and ways to protect themselves. There is no shelter for the American people. Uh, I, I think it was last time I was here, I talked to you about the, you know, the the um, nuclear scare that we had in Hawaii and how, you know, this message went out to everybody saying, hey, uh, missile incoming, you know, seek shelter immediately. This is not a drill. What everybody found out immediately is there is no shelter. There is no shelter. There's no place to go. There's no place where uh, you can take your loved ones and your kids to be protected, not only from the blast, but the fallout and the lack of food and water and everything else that that comes after. Um, 
New York, uh, New York City recently put out a, a PSA. I don't know if you saw it, but it, it is literally a video ad that they put out saying, hey, here's what you do in the event of a nuclear explosion. Why are they putting this out now? Because of where we are as a country. The problem is, as it shows in this video, their advice to the people of New York City is get inside, stay inside, and stay tuned. That's it. Stay tuned to what? The radio, I guess. I like, mean, what is even going to be available? That's my point. Yeah, that is exactly no my point. There will be no power. There will be no infrastructure. There will be no, mm -hmm. you know, you, you see what's happening in Florida right now with the recovery efforts after uh, this hurricane just swept through and demolished it. You think about that multiply that by like, I don't know, 50,000 times. The devastation is what we would see, but we wouldn't have FEMA. We wouldn't have these first responders who are able to actually go out and help people. And the worst thing, man, the worst thing I said when I watched that PSA, get inside, stay inside, stay tuned. At the end, I'm assuming as an actor they hired to do this, she looks in the camera and she's like, you got this, New York. Like, what in the world? These these people are creating this false sense of security for the American people saying like, oh yeah, take shelter, but there is no shelter. We should watch that because it's so crazy. It is insane. We should, let's watch that because it's, it's. So there's been a nuclear attack. Don't ask me how or why, just know that the big one has hit. Okay, so what do we do? There are three important steps that I want you to remember. Big Step smile. one, Get inside fast. You, your friends, your family, get inside. And no, staying in the car is not an option. You need to get into a building and move away from the windows. Look at her smiles. I know. Big Step smile. two, stay inside. Shut all doors and windows. Have a basement? Head there. If you don't have one, get as far into the middle of the building as possible. If you were outside after the blast, get clean immediately. Remove and bag all outer clothing to keep radioactive dust or ash away from your body. Step three, stay tuned. Follow media for more information. Don't forget to sign up for Notify NYC for official alerts and updates. And don't go outside until officials say it's safe. All right, you've got this. Shit. <laughs> officials, like who? Rashida Tlaib? She's going to tell you? Like, who's the officials? People that they elected? Who? who who's going to tell you it's okay to go outside during a nuclear blast exactly. in the United States, something that's never happened ever, and that we're completely woefully unprepared for? Exactly. You got this. You got this. She's so pretty, though. And your big smile. <laughs> She's got a nice smile. She's got a great <laughs> smile. That's probably why they hired her. It's that is a crazy thing to put out there. First of all, because like, what, what is it? What's the purpose of that? Is that to reassure people? Like, what is the purpose of that? Yeah, is it's not to inform people because no. none of what she said makes any sense. No. Oh, get in the middle of the room. Right. Oh, that's okay. Right. The outside's not good. Just stay away the middle, from the window. The middle's not going to be because the radiation is not. Just stays put. Yeah. Radiation. It's kind of like a fog machine. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't doesn't get inside. Like what? I um. I was in, I think it was after my second deployment, uh, when I came back from the Middle East, I went on a trip and did some travel uh, through Eastern Europe and went and actually visited Chernobyl. 
And uh, it was astonishing to me even decades after that happened, because I was curious. I'd heard about it and just like, okay, um, went on this little bus and went out there. They gave us these radiation monitors, uh, these handheld radiation monitors, so that wherever we were, you know, you could kind of test and see where the radiation uh, still existed. They're like, oh, you're going to see apple trees and things like that. Don't eat any of the fruit because it's contaminated. It is mm. still contaminated decades later. Walking through the middle of the town, I know everyone's seen the pictures, and obviously now with that Chernobyl series, uh, I think that Netflix did, um, more and more people know the story, but you know, walking through like the school and the classrooms where the desks and the books and the kids' shoes and the deflated basketballs, everything is still there um, in the way that it was when people fled and had to evacuate uh, when that nuclear plant melted down. Uh, it, it was so eerie walking through there. Um, you, you could you could almost kind of feel feel the heaviness of of what happened there. And then as as we were leaving after we left uh, and were crossing back into Ukraine, um, we had to go through these like I, before we got on the bus, we had to go through these radiation um, kind of like the thing you walk through in TSA, except it tests for radiation to make sure you're not actually bringing any contaminants with you back into society. All of that is to say, like, this is what we're talking about. So you see that kind of video and you see how completely out of touch it is with the reality of what could happen uh, in the event in the event of a nuclear attack. And the fact that, you know, Russia has got what over 6000 nuclear warheads. The United States has over 5000 nuclear warheads, both countries making up 90 percent of the total number of nuclear warheads that exist in the world. And literally, it would just take the flick of a match to spark this war off. And, and that's where say, OK, well, you hear President Biden say, well, this is Putin's war. This is Putin's fault. It's it's Putin who's 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 uh, the, the one who's solely responsible. Well, the United States and some of these European NATO countries are fueling this war and need to provide the leadership to bring about a negotiated outcome. That is exactly what needs to happen here to prevent the destruction of the planet and and life uh, as we know it. Uh, they're not doing that. And in doing so, they are failing the American people and putting us in this position of not knowing so where we're going to be do you uh, think, in the event that this kicks off. Do you think that whoever the powers that be and whatever the influence is from the military industrial complex, that they are trying to prolong this in order to profit? So they're trying to continue to fund Ukraine. This gives them an excellent reason to ramp up budgets and keep shipping over weapons and arms. They keep making more and more profit and just get us right to the point where it gets squirrely. Well, Putin won't do it. He won't do it. He won't do it. But if he does it, there's no pulling back from that. There's and the no only reason why we would ever get to that point is because people are trying to make more money. That is That is certainly a major driver. I have no doubt about that. I am concerned that we may we may have passed that point uh, already um 
You're talking about people pushing us right up, right up to the line and then just saying, well, you know, the whole theory of of nuclear weapons is one of mutually assured destruction. Right. Like there's no way Putin will ever launch this because of that fear of like, okay, well, we will all be destroyed if that happens. And they're saying, you know. Putin is many things, but he's not crazy. There's no way he's going to do this. Well, they're talking about doing it. They changed their nuclear weapons policy so that according to their laws, they would be authorized to use a nuclear weapon if they are facing any kind of existential threat, whether it's coming from a nuclear source or not. And and you look at um, the situation that, that Putin is in right now. He's boxed into a corner. He's lost face. He he is he is in a place where he may feel like he has nothing else to lose. And and you 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 find that same kind of mentality in people who are, you know, suicidal or people who are bullied or people who feel like their their best option is is a way out. And so to say to be so dismissive and say, well, you know. Putin's not crazy. He's not going to he's not going to do this. Um, it, it denies the reality of the position uh, that he's in. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Daniel McAdams with me once again. And Daniel was with me a couple of weeks ago, I guess, but let me just, since he hasn't been a frequent guest, let me just go over a little bit of his background. Uh, He is the executive director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. He served as foreign affairs advisor uh, to Congressman Paul. 
um, and until Dr. Paul's retirement at the end of uh, 2012. In, 19, in the 1990s, Daniel worked as a journalist um, based in Budapest, Hungary, including an editorial page, uh, editorial page editor of the uh, Budapest Sun. He also served as a special repertoire for the British Helsinki Human Rights Group while based in Europe, monitoring human rights and elections on the ground in various contentious states, including Albania during uh, 1996-1998, civil unrest in Montenegro, Georgia, Armenia, Armenia, Belarus, Croatia, and Slovakia. So some pretty troubled places where he was involved in trying to help people put together fair elections. He was a Phillips Foundation journalism fellow and an American Swiss Foundation young leader. He holds a bachelor's degree uh, from the University of Berkeley, California at Berkeley, uh, and completed coursework for a master's uh, in international relations. So he was well suited to serve Ron Paul, as Ron Paul was a congressman and uh, also a presidential candidate. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me again. It's great to be back with you, Jay. Thanks for inviting me on. It's really good to have you. Um, before we get into the discussion of today, I would like to just uh, maybe you can tell our listeners what you and Dr. Paul have been talking about recently on TV and on your show. I guess it's the Ron Paul Liberty Report and, uh, you know, where people can go to tune into that and, and stay up to date with what the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity uh, are up to. Sure. Well, we're now live on Rumble at noon Eastern time, Monday through Friday. Uh-huh. Dr. Paul and I do Monday and Thursday, and then my colleague Chris Rossini comes in on Friday, and they mostly do economics uh, issues. Um, our website is ronpaulinstitute.org. Um, we don't publish a lot of articles every day, just a couple or two or three that you need to read that we decide is uh, are good things to, uh, to read that day. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got a conference coming up in Lake Jackson, Texas. It's our third big conference of the year, and we ha- still have some tickets for that, and you can find out more at ronpaulinstitute.org. We're going to be talking about cancel culture and the war on free speech. Ah, yes, indeed. Uh, certainly free speech was, uh, was at least one time what America was known for, more than any other country, most democracies, I would suggest. Well, um, you know, we've, uh, we, we've, t- uh, we've titled our show today, How Real is the Threat of Nuclear War? And uh, uh, we listened to Tulsi Gabbard and... Uh, remarks that President Eisenhower made fearful of the military-industrial complex. But I'd like to start out perhaps by asking you, um, you know, you're aware of Tulsi Gabbard. In fact, I think you and, and Dr. Paul talked about it on your on your television show. Um, to what extent, if any, do you share Tulsi's concerns about the potential for a nuclear war uh, arising out of the uh, Ukrainian conflict? Well, I think the fears are very real. Uh, you know, that used to be, and you know, you remember this, Joe. I mean, I mean, <laughs> Jay, I'm reading yeah. as I'm talking. You remember this, Jay. Um, you know, we grew up in the Cold War. Uh, this was an era where, you know, we had two uh, ideologically incompatible ideologies lined up with steam coming out of our ears, nuclear mm-hmm. weapons aimed at each other. Forty years of this, yet it was considered with very, very few exceptions, and 62 was one of them, it was considered unimaginable to actually talk about using nuclear weapons uh, in a battle. It was something that we did everything. We talked to the Soviets at the lowest point. We made agreements. Uh, we made detente. Um, we li- agreed to limit our weapons. We li- agreed to do things that would make it impossible for first strike. 
This is what we were head you know, toe to toe with our great ideological enemy. Now, all of a sudden, now when we don't have that foe, we don't have that same kind of foe, all of a sudden, people, and I would say particularly in Washington, are talking about the use of nuclear weapons. Uh, so I think simply the fact that we are considering and talking about them means that the threat is very, very high because we've forgotten how horrific, horrific these weapons are. Yeah. I don't know if, if you had it down there where you live in Texas, but we had commercials running on television channels in New York City, um, you know, t- telling people how to react if there's a nuclear uh, war, a, a nuclear weapon heading our way, you know, and, and we played that uh, that clip, that, that ad was pl- actually played uh, on Joe Rogan's show when Tulsi Gabbard talked and they, you know, it was, it's pretty ludicrous because we all knew, well, I guess, I guess I can remember in grade school being told to go under your desks, which was pretty, pretty yeah. silly. I think, uh, people don't have any idea what a nuclear, what a nuclear Holocaust is like, I suppose. And do you think that we were very concerned because we saw the Soviet union at that time as an equal power to us? And we think somehow, no one is equal to us now, so we feel that we can push the envelope further? Well, this is what happens when you believe your own mythology, you know. Remember the old, you know, this is going back 20 years, we're, we're the exceptional state, we're the, you know, we're the state above all, we're the chosen state. Uh, you know, this whole idea, this American exceptionalism, uh-huh. it, do, it is kind of like a, a, a moral cancer that means nobody else means anything except for us. And the rest of the world needs to bow down in, in deference to the United States. Well, that's not the same world. The world has changed significantly. And I know you covered this, a lot of this on your show from an economic perspective, mm-hmm. uh, Jay. And that's a very mm-hmm. important because that feeds, I think that feeds the political shifts that we're seeing. The economic shifts that we've seen are now fueling the political shifts and the reality that this is not, this is no longer a unipolar world. And just as the British were kicking and screaming after World War II, realizing that their empire is over, uh, the United States, in particular the elites, can't believe what's happened to their American exceptionalism. It's, it's over. It's dying. They're the ones that helped kill it, but they can't believe that it's going away. Yeah, and um, somehow we think that um, the rest of the world, that we're doing them a favor, I guess, or, or we would like to think so. Uh, I wonder what kind of a favor we're doing for Europe now when we, you know, have put, um, you know, have, have forced them not to accept uh, Russian gas and what that means. The Europeans are suffering and will be suffering a great deal more than we are this winter. And um, I, I guess already are with high energy prices and so forth. And Alistair McLeod's made the point on this show on more than one occasion that he thinks Putin's grand design here is to get the United States out of, Europe. Um, do you think that might be the case? And if so, would that be good or bad? I'm, I'm not a huge fan of grand designs. I think they uh-huh. come from from minds that may be too grand, although I have enormous respect for, for McLeod. I think he's a great thinker. Um, I don't know that it goes that far. I mean, so many people want to be inside Putin's brain. I, I don't think that foreign policy analysis that becomes sort of uh, mystical and esoteric like that is very helpful. Mm-hmm. However, you want to talk about Europe's decline. Uh, you know, the emperor, I mean, the emperor is now exposed for having no clothing on. You know, we see the, the explosion, the blowing up, the sabotage of Nord Stream 1 and 2. And now in the past week, 
we've heard the government of Sweden and the government of Germany saying we don't want to investigate it. Sweden says, well, we're not going to investigate it together with Germany and Denmark because we don't want to have to share our conclusions. In Germany, this is Olaf Scholz, the chancellor of Germany, said to a direct question, he said, we know who did it, but we can't say reasons. Now, are we supposed to believe if their investigations have shown that Russia did it, that they wouldn't be screaming from the highest hilltop, here's our investigation, here's what it shows. So Olaf Scholz, who is supposedly the head of a sovereign country, says, we can't tell you who did it. We can't tell you who destroyed our future um, for national security reasons. Uh, You know, wink, wink. Uh, It had to have been the U.S. It had to have been the U.S. acting together with Poland and perhaps Sweden. Otherwise, we certainly would be hearing from it. So it's astonishing to see how low the Europeans are willing to go to prostrate themselves uh, before Washington, D.C. Well, Daniel, the Russians can cut off gas in the pipeline. They don't have to do it. They don't have to blow it up. What 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 conceivable logic would be behind Russia doing it? Why, why would they on Earth? Why would they do it? Can you think of anything? Well, governments. Well, governments do stupid things, so we, we all agree on that. But however, mm-hmm. when you're in the middle of a war uh, that is a challenge, more, may, perhaps more of a challenge than you expected at first, A, you're going to waste $300 million worth of gas and multi-billions of dollars in infrastructure that you've created, plus you've destroyed the future of selling gas to your customer. Um, like you say, I mean, even uh, Putin said, you know, um, who benefits from it? Who, who the person who benefited uh, is the person who committed the crime. Now, Germany doesn't benefit from it in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, Schultz was having to deal with massive protests in Berlin and elsewhere. And you can see them just over this past weekend. You see big protests in Germany, and there's huge banners that say Nord Stream. They want uh. cheap gas. They don't want to freeze to death. And so the person or country... <laughs> who blew up the pipelines, was afraid, I think, of Germany getting cold feet or a German government falling. Uh, and you see the, the, uh, the AFD party, which is a right-wing populist party in Germany, making significant gains uh, in the polls. Uh, and they're the only party in Germany that's not keen on isolating Russia and on sanctions with Russia. So you're looking at a lot of political risk with this. So what do you do? Well, you erase any possibility of Germany going back to its senses and actually protecting its citizenry. What? Uh, I just, I mean, we're supposed to, it's, it, they call it our defense department, right? We spend this, these huge amounts of money for defense. I'm trying to understand, you know, we asked the question during Vietnam, how you know, a, a war happened on the other side of the world, how is that a threat to us? Well, how is Putin a threat to us in doing what he's doing? How is he a threat to the United States? I guess he's a threat to the arms industry, or actually maybe, maybe he's not a threat. Maybe he's a, maybe he's a, a helping the arms industry, but, um, <laughs> you know, an agent. I mean, help, help, uh, Americans are sort of just under, just sort of accepting on, on the surface. Tulsi Gabbard says that policymakers that they're going, we're going into these wars without policymakers ever asking, is it good or bad for the American people? So I'm yeah. would try to like to understand, you know, what is the the connection between 
how we're at risk in America because Putin goes into the Ukraine. What, what sort of logic yeah, would mean, they come the, up with? The fact is Russia could definitely be a threat to the United States. They have more nuclear weapons than we have. They have a missile called the Satan missile, um, which would absolutely probably end life in the United States. They have the technology to create a 600-meter-high tidal wave off of our coast. So I, I'm not living in fantasy world where I want to hug Putin. I'm trying to live in the world of reality. And that mm-hmm. is, that yes, they are a threat, and they can be a threat. So that's all the more reason to try to find a way to work these issues out. Um, and if we could go back to 2014, they had almost worked it out. There was a deal between the government in Ukraine and Russia to have a free trade agreement with some cash stuff in there on the part of Russia to Ukraine. And there was a simultaneously a deal with the EU. Now, Putin told Yanukovych at the time, the head of Ukraine, hey, if you, got to, if you want to make a deal with the EU, that's fine. You can, we don't have to have an exclusivity in our current uh-huh. relations. We will have good relations. And you can have good relations with the EU, uh, you know, and everything will be hunky-dory. I mean, there's a huge benefit between, you know, for being a neutral state in between wealthy states all, you know, on both sides, or relatively wealthy states on both sides, and you know, ask Switzerland. But the EU said no. And Victoria Nuland, who, by the way, is Ukrainian, Tony Blinken is part Ukrainian. They brought a lot of their age-old prejudices to bear when they finally got power in 2014 and instigated the 2014 Maidan coup, which, of course, threw out of power the democratically elected Yanukovych and brought in a regime that made common cause with NATO, emboldened really bad actors in Ukraine. And it's very obvious how bad these actors are. And you had eight years of Kiev shelling eastern Ukraine and killing its own citizens. So this was all going to come to a head eventually. Uh, and, and as we saw in February, it finally did. Nobody should be surprised except the fact that we do not have a free media in the United States. So mm-hmm. nobody has ever heard this story. And in fact, I was, we were contacted by a fact-checking organization uh, just a couple of days ago saying, we're reviewing your website and we found uh, something that's of real concern to us. At one point, you wrote that the U.S. was involved in the 2014 coup. I just don't, we just don't see how that's possible. <laughs> and, of course, we never respond to these queries, but I was tempted to send them a, a recording of Victoria Newland on tape saying, blank the EU, here's who we're going to put into power when the coup's done. You right, know I mean? right, 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 <laughs> right. American people don't hear that, though. They don't know that. They don't know, for example, most Americans don't know, that, in fact, when the Soviet Union fell, we, we promised them that NATO wouldn't take one inch of additional territory that was the former Soviet Union. And yet we marched right up to the Soviet Union's uh, border now. And I guess it was a line too far across for Putin when we decided that we were going to put missiles and, on his border and, you know, and, yeah. and, and add Ukraine into, uh, into NATO. I mean, that's what we were talking about, right? Right before Putin invaded? Yeah, and it just makes absolutely no sense. The NATO expansion made zero sense uh, at the time, you know, and there was a euphoria at the end of the Soviet Union, uh, and I think a lot of the countries of Central Europe felt, and I was living there at the time, they felt it was a symbolic um, healing, I guess, process, return to the concept of the West, 
to join Western institutions, of which the two of which uh, being the EU and NATO of most significance. And so it was almost like a graduation from being under the boot of the Soviet Union uh-huh. um, to graduate to being part of the West. But now looking back in retrospect, and I was, of course, extremely opposed to NATO expansion at the time um, for a number of reasons. But, um, but looking back, the, the real question that, you know, that Ron Paul was asking all along, even before I, I knew him and worked for him, was why is NATO still around? The Warsaw mm-hmm. Pact is gone. NATO is a military alliance to confront a country that does no longer exist, the Soviet mm-hmm. Union. So, mm-hmm. so what is the point? And that's the real question. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe Eisenhower had the answer when, you know, when he was concerned about the military-industrial complex. And, and, and indeed, Tulsi Gabbard told Joe Rogan that one of the main reasons she thinks we keep pushing uh, all these conflicts is because it makes a lot of money for the military-industrial complex. Uh, there's the other part, though, Daniel, bigger thing about, um, you know, when you, when you have empires, empires... They do nasty things to people. All empires do, right? I mean, we wouldn't... You you can't be an empire without doing nasty things to other countries. Do you agree with that? That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true, and that's why when we have fallen from being a republic to an empire, that's when you see the rise, as you say, of the military-industrial complex and the neocons and a whole class of elite oligarchs who do not have our interests at heart. Mm -hmm. Eisenhower was worried... In his speech that we played, he was worried about the threat of the military-industrial complex to our liberty. And, you know, First Amendment rights is the thing that America was known for. Uh, I guess you could argue that we still have First Amendment rights. We're saying these things now in a public forum, although a small one. Maybe that's the key. Um, And so... I guess that's that's really the biggest concern I have is not only, of course, having to do with the military industrial complex, but all other issues having to do with, you know, with I mean, we're having everything from the top down now. Doctors aren't allowed to be doctors anymore in California if they don't do what Governor Newsom tells them to and and kowtow to whatever covid uh, platforms he's got, whatever covid policies he wants, uh, they'll lose their license in California, supposedly. I mean, this is unheard of in America. I, it's just, for an old guy like me that's been around for so long, it's very difficult to swallow. It's very difficult. But let me ask you this, Daniel. You were, uh, the Ron Paul Institute, uh, I think, was knocked off of YouTube, right? And that's why you were at Rumble now. No, we had been kicked off a couple times temporarily, but uh, we went to Rumble simply because we were, um, we were concerned that YouTube was going to cancel us. And the guys at Rumble got in touch with us and said, hey, why don't you come over here for your live show? You're not going to have to worry about censorship or being mm-hmm. kicked off. Uh, and, um, you know, they gave us a nice incentive. They, they feature our show live on their mm-hmm. main page when we go live. So we still do put the show on YouTube, but our primary, our live show is carried on Rumble. And that's the good news, uh, Jay, and that's the good news about capitalism uh, is that um, given enough incentive, alternatives do arise. And that's what we're starting to see. Yeah. I mean, there's always the argument about, um, I forget, I guess maybe some of the communist leaders like to think that ultimately capitalism would self-destruct and go away. Well, policymakers can sure do a job 
in terms of destroying capitalism. We've seen it in the financial markets with interest rates being driven to zero. Uh, misallocation of capital has does enormous damage to the economy, to people's lives ultimately. Of course, some people get filthy rich with that kind of policy and maybe not the least of which is the military industrial complex that plenty of money around to finance all these expensive weapons and all. Um, so that's good. And, and I think that, I think, I think that uh, Rumble's doing pretty well from what I understand. I mean, there's a lot of fairly big name people that are going there now. Tulsi Gabbard, one they've of them. They've got some top people. They've got yeah. Tulsi, they've got Glenn Greenwald, they've got Russell Brand. Uh, so they're attracting talent from the right to the left to beyond, um, which shows you that people want to hear things outside the approved narrow view of the mainstream. So so-called mainstream, because I think we are actually the mainstream. So it's, uh, well, I, it's, it's, a good that, thing. it's a good thing to see. Well, that, that's, uh, that's very good. I, I have a good friend uh, uh, at the church I attend who's, uh, who's a former journalist, and he, uh, he gets after me sometimes suggesting that I'm too pessimistic, and he's suggesting that, Jay, there is hope. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of truth that's being spoken, not on the mainstream, the so-called mainstream, uh, but you know, I mean, just look at a lot of people from the Democrat Party that have left or people that were considered to be uh, very far to the left are now, you know, speaking their minds. So it's very difficult, I think, in a country like ours where we've had a tradition of freedom of speech uh, to shut it down, right? It's very difficult. It is hard. They did a good job in two years of COVID to prepare us for this, you know, but we do have a chance to fight back. Well, in, in terms of fighting back... Um, any any thoughts about the upcoming elections? I, I'm sure you and you and Dr. Paul talk about it. I don't know how much you talk about it on your show, but you think there will be a, a bit of a swing yeah. back? I think so. I wish I could be more optimistic about it, though, but I don't feel that much better about a House in, con- in control of McCarthy and the Senate uh-huh. in control of McConnell. You know, mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm 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 not a I'm not a voter, Jay. So, um, but mm-hmm. I mean, on the other hand, these guys are so evil that are running things now. Uh, any kind of change might upset a little bit of the apple cart. And plus, there are a lot of Americans that are expecting a lot if things do change. So there theoretically could be some pressure on, on a Republican-led House and or Senate uh, to actually get something done. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, am I rooting for it secretly? Yes, because these guys are just, they're just demons. But I don't have any illusions about the angels being on the other side. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid... Uh, I'm afraid that's right, and, and you know, and certainly independents. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard didn't run off to the Republican Party, so uh, there's yeah, a reason for that I mean, too. I hope she doesn't. I wouldn't mind. I mean, if she can, if she could lead, and I think there's some exciting things happening in the Republican Party, and I think the Republican mm-hmm. Party has a future if it embraces some of the things with all the flaws that Trump embraced, which is mm-hmm. start being the party of the working man again, start being the, co- the party of the blue collar again. Uh, and I don't mean endorsing all sorts of union subsidies and all this garbage. I mean, no. in terms of your policies, um, mm-hmm. no, start being the party of anti-war. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of energy in anti-war uh, populism, and it's coming from the right, not from the left anymore. So there no. could be a future for the Republican Party. And I just hope some of these young guys <laughs> and gals that are running that have that kind of energy, I just hope they do well. We've had a couple of them on our show and hope that we'll uh, continue to see them doing well. Yeah, you you mentioned anti-war. Well, certainly it seems to me that one of the things 
I know you're not a big fan of Trump. I, I, I believe that's. I believe I'm accurate in saying that. Nor was Dr. Paul. Yeah, he, for various reasons. Mm. But uh, and certainly from a financial point of view, his his handling of of, of the markets. I mean, he was in, all in favor of massive amounts of money printing. So, but but in terms <laughs> of his foreign policy, and I'm wondering if one of the reasons they weren't out to get him from day one and accuse him falsely of things he never did was because of his stance. You know, he ran on a policy of not starting new wars, and he made good on that policy. Um, with just two minutes yeah. left, maybe, do you think, if Trump were in office, do you think it's possible we might not have a war in Ukraine right now? I think so, and there are a lot, there's a lot to like about Trump. I just wish that Trump was actually Trump. You know, he, he, there was a lot of bluster there, but not a lot of follow-through. My good friend Doug McGregor, who was supposed to be ambassador to Germany, uh, Trump mm-hmm. did nothing to fight for him. He could have put him in a position of, of serious authority without needing Senate approval. He did that with literally days left in his presidency and told the Colonel McGregor, hey, go out and get us out of Afghanistan and Syria. You know, so um, I think he has very good instincts. I wish he would follow through. I wish he would have pardoned Julian Assange. He could have done so many other yeah. things, pardon some of these wrongly accused people who simply demonstrated on January 6th, who did not harm anything, could have pardoned some of these people. He could have done a lot more. Maybe he'll have a wake-up call if he makes it back in and make good on some of the mistakes he made when he's in the first time. Well, I just know that your friend and mine, uh, Jeff Dice, uh, thinks that they won't allow Trump to run again. Uh, Certainly, there's a lot of people trying to keep that from happening. But I see that we are almost out of time. Daniel, I want to thank you so much for spending your time with us. Uh, lots of other things I would like to ask you about, uh, foreign policy and so forth, but we are out of time. So I want to thank you very much. And again, uh, tell people that they could uh, go to the Ron Paul Institute. And what's the the channel again? Uh, where to go? It's yeah, Ron Paul Institute yeah. for Peace. Let's go to Ron Paul yeah, Institute Ron Paul for Paul Peace Institute. and Prosperity. No, no, ronpaulinstitute.org. And find okay. us on Rumble at Ron Paul Liberty Report. Very good. Excellent. Well, I hope people will do that because there's a lot of excellent content there. Uh, thank you, Daniel, so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye. All righty. Uh, folks, that is it uh, for this week. Next week, Michael Oliver will be back. Bob Moriarty is joining me as well and perhaps a surprise guest. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.